Well, good morning, everybody. This is Granny D, Dorcas Smith, out of Plymouth, Michigan, calling you on the, or calling in for our daily weight management TR90, Body Burn 30, weight management, weight management support call. So yesterday I got to cover for Nikki, and today I'm covering for me, and I am again going to be looking at Brain Rules, which is by John Medina, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to tell you a little bit about John Medina. He's a developmental molecular biologist and research consultant. He's an affiliate professor of bioengineering at the University of Washington School of Medicine. He's also the director of the Brain Center for Applied Learning Research at Seattle Pacific University, and he lives in Seattle, Washington. If you want to check into um, a special link for paperback readers, it's www.brainrules.net forward slash DVD. And I think there's a 45-minute video on Brain Rules. Brain Rules is a lively tour. Oh, actually, the, the film. It says the film, Brain Rules film, is a lively tour of the 12 Brain Rules. You will experience Medina's rare gift for making science fun, accessible, and relevant. The film will take your understanding of the book to the next level. So, yes, we're working, by the way, on brain rule number three, which is all our brains are wired differently. So I'm just going to go back to what I was talking about yesterday. Because our brains are wired differently and because we develop at different rates and speeds, and if you look at a second or third or fourth grade class, you know that there's no two children in that those rooms that are like there's big kids, there's little kids, there's little scrawny kids, there's kids that have got some weight issues. Um, some are almost beginning to. There have been times you'll often see kids starting to almost begin to look like teenagers, even by fourth and fifth grade. So we all de- develop at different rates and speeds. Well, think about that for the brain. So that not only are brains, people's brains individually wired, but those neurological differences can, in the case of language, predict performance. So I'm going to go back to the where I just finished off yesterday. Schools seem to think that all children should read by a certain age, and that is not the case. They really do develop at different speeds. So if you think about the fact that our wiring and our our developmental level is really individual. Given this data, does it make any sense to have school systems that expect every brain to learn like every other brain? Does it make sense to treat everybody the same in business, especially in a global economy, replete with various cultural experiences? The data offer powerful implications for how we should teach kids. And when they grow up and get a job, how we should treat them as employees. Medina has a couple of concerns about our school systems, (laughs) don't we all? One, 
the current system is founded on a series of expectations that certain learning goals should be achieved by a certain age. Yet there is no reason to suspect that the brain pays attention to those expectations. Students of the same age show a great deal of intellectual variability, just as their bodies show huge differences in variability. So number two, these differences can profoundly influence classroom performance. This has been tested. For example, about 10% of students do not have brains sufficiently wired to read at the age that educators or the school systems or we as humans expect them to read. Lockstep models based on simply on age, sorry, lockstep models based simply on age are guaranteed to create a counterproductive mismatch to brain biology. So what can we do about this? And we all know it really is smaller class size. All else being equal, it has been known for many years that smaller, more intimate schools create better learning environments than megaplex houses of learning. The brain rule may help explain why smaller is better. Given that every brain is wired differently, being able to read a student's mind is a powerful tool in the hands of a good teacher. As you may recall from the survival chapter, theory of mind is about as close to mind reading as humans are likely to get. It is defined as the ability to understand the interior motivations of someone else and the ability to construct a predictable theory of how their mind works based on that knowledge. This gives teachers critical access to their students' interior, ed interior education life, and it may include knowledge of when students are confused and when they are fully engaged. It also gives sensitive teachers valuable feedback about whether their teaching is being transformed into learning. It may even be the definition of that sensitivity. I have come to believe that people with advanced theory of mind skills possess the single most important ingredient for becoming effective communicators of information. Students comprehend complex knowledge at different times and at different depths. Because a teacher can keep track of only so many minds, there must be a limit on the number of students in a class. The smaller, the better. And it is possible that small class sizes predict better performance simply because the teacher can better keep track of where everybody is. This suggests that an advanced skill set in theory of mind predicts a good teacher. If so, existing theory of mind tests should be used like Myers-Briggs personality test to reveal good teachers from bad or help people considering careers as teachers. Then we, have, we come along to customized instruction. What of that old abomination to create more individualized instruction within a grade? It sits on some solid brain science. Research, researcher Carol McDonald Connor is doing the first work I've seen capable of handling these differences head on. She and a colleague combined a standard reading program with a bright and shiny new computer program called A2I. 
The software uses artificial, artificial intelligence deter, to determine where the re- user's reading competencies lie and then adaptively tailor exercises for the student in order to fill in any gaps. When used in construction with a standard reading class, the software is wildly successful. The more students work with the program, the better their scores become. Interestingly, the effect is greatest when the software is used in conjunction with a normal reading program. The teacher alone or the software alone is not as effective. As the instructor teaches the class in a normal fashion, students will, given the uneven intellectual landscape, experience learning gaps left untreated, cause students to fall further and further behind, and a normal and insidious effect of not being able to transfer instruction into apprehension. The software makes sure these gaps don't go untreated. Is this the future? Attempting to individualize education is hardly a new idea. Using code as a stand-in for human teaching is not revolutionary either, but the combination might be a stunner. I would like to see a three-pronged research effort between brain and education education scientists. One, evaluate teachers and teachers' to be for advanced theory of mind skills using one of the four main tests that measure empathy, determine whether this affects student performance at a statistically valid fashion, in a statistically valid fashion. Two, develop adaptive software for for a variety of subjects and grade levels, test them for efficacy, efficacy, Test them for efficacy. Deploy the ones that work in a manner similar to the experiment Connor published in the Journal of Science. Test both ideas and various combinations. Add to the mix environments where the student-teacher ratio is both typical and optimized, and then compare the results. The reason to do this is straightforward. You cannot change the fact that the human brain is individually wired. Every student's brain and every employee's brain, every customer's brain is wired differently. That's the brain rule. You can either accede to it or you can either accede to it or ignore it. The current system of education chooses to the latter and ignores it, much to our children's and our detriment. It needs to be torn down and newly envisioned. In a Manhattan Project size commitment to individualized instruction, we might, among other things, dismantle altogether grade structures based on age. Companies could try theory of mind screening for leaders, along with a method of mass customization that treats every every employee as an individual. But that many would discover that they have a many they have a great many basketball. Hold on. I bet many would discover that they have a great basketball player in their organization, but they're asking him to play baseball, him or her to play baseball. So find what your talent is and expose it. But in many companies, 
they've got the great basketball players playing baseball instead of basketball. So I finished what I want to read to you for today, but I do want to review the three brain rules that we've covered so far. Brain rule number one, exercise boosts brain power. Our brains were built for walking up to 12 miles a day. To improve your thinking skills, move. Exercise gets blood to your brain, bringing it glucose for energy and oxygen to soak up the toxic electrons that are left over. It also stimulates the protein that keeps neurons connecting. Aerobic exercise just twice a week halves your risk for general dementia. It cuts your risk for Alzheimer's by 60%. That's pretty amazing. Rule number two, the human brain evolved also. We don't have one brain, remember. We have three. We started with a lizard brain to keep us breathing, and then we added a brain like a cat, and then topped those with a thin layer of jello known as the cortex, the third and powerful human brain. We took over the earth by adapting to change itself after we were forced from the trees to the savannah when climate swings disrupted our food supply. Going from four legs to two on the savannah freed up energy to develop a complex, big brain. And symbolic reasoning is a unique human talent. It may have arisen from our need to understand one another's intentions and motivations allowing us to coordinate within a group. And our last one, which we've just finished, brain rule number three, every brain is wired differently. What you do and learn in life physically changes what your brain looks like. It literally rewires it. The various regions of the brain develop at different rates in different people. No two people's brains, sorry, no two people's brains store the same information in the same way or in the same place. And we have a great number of ways of being intelligent, many of which don't show up on IQ tests. And the next one we're going to be looking at is attention. Brain rule number four, we don't pay attention to boring things. I think that's, you think? All right, so we are going to learn all about attention. But, listen to this one. Audiences check out after 10 minutes, but you can keep grabbing them back by telling them narratives or creating events rich in emotion. So as a teacher or a grandparent, know that you've got about 10 minutes of attention, at which point you better get some questions going or some way to retrieve the attention. So next time I will be looking at brain rule number four. We don't pay attention to boring things. I hope you enjoyed learning about how we are all wired differently and will be more accepting of how people think and view the world so very differently from you. All right, let's take this. That's why, we ask, that's why we ask questions and throw out interesting little tidbits to keep their little attention. <laughs> oh, yes. 
Absolutely, absolutely. You have to, you know you've got about 10 minutes, and then you have to get them either doing something or involved or responding in some manner or other. Sometimes it's just getting up and standing by their desk and having them do something that, oh, it changes their location. And you know, if you're struggling with a kid, just change their location. It certainly helps. Oh, and sometimes they just need a break, too. So, you know, and just getting up and moving, especially if they're doing math, is a good thing. So, Oh, yes. I, I used to do um, brain gym before we did math because I knew if I did brain gym, they would be much more engaged. They would have a fresh supply of oxygen and they would be more willing to struggle with it. So, yes. I think you must have been a great teacher. I said, I think you must have been a great teacher. Get those kids moving. Absolutely. Oh, I did all kinds of interesting things. For example, I found out that color and light changes your ability to focus. So I would put um, colored tissue paper under the uh, fluorescent lights. Well, plus fluorescent lights tend to cause you to have problems with focus. So I would put like, I would have a pink area of the room and in the front of the room, which was where I was doing a lot of teaching, I would have green papers because the green helps with intellectual focus and ability to process. And so that other kids would come into our classroom and go, wow, you have colors in your ceiling. And I would go, yes. And it would soften the colors of the room so that it made it more pleasant to be. To be, You know, like I had pink over the sofa. I had a sofa in my room so you could, you know, there's nothing that nicer than sitting in a sofa to read. So I, had, I, used, to, I used to try and find as many different ways for my kids to learn. Now, you've got to remember, I was a special education teacher. So I, I worked with kids who were really struggling. But what's amazing is most of them have grown up and become good functioning members of society, which is a huge deal. It makes me very happy. Well, you should be proud. You did a job well done. Absolutely. I agree. Brandy, I have a quick question. Um, yes. Is, is nobody questioning this guy saying that we started with lizard brains? I mean, where's the proof of that? There's there's zero proof that we evolved from being in trees. I'm just, it makes all the other information and I'm, I'm, I'm Well, super. he talks about, okay, he talks about the lizard brain. The lizard brain is what braids. That's all your natural things that you're, okay, your breathing, your heart rate, your blood being pumped around. That's your lizard brain. You don't even know what's happening. You don't think but about But is he thinking. serious about, does this man really believe in evolution for which there is no proof? Oh, wow. Well, he seems to appear to believe in, in an evolution because he talks about the fact that we went from four legs to two and that our brains yeah. grew very large when we began to walk on two legs. But and that was no when we began. That at all. I mean, there's zero, that just kind of blows everything else 
because there's no uh, there's no scientific proof for that. There's proof of of the other of of the fact that we were not. We did not evolve. I mean, we we have evolved well, in small ways, but. We, we have evolved actually amazingly. It started about 50,000 years ago, and there was a huge, huge um, change in our ability to function. So I'm not sure. I assume that um, if I look at the back, I will find all the... If you go and look, he, I'm sure he has research to back what he's saying. And, yeah, um, there's just- I have I, just I have always well I guess I my knowledge is that we are from the savanna and that we did evolve and that we changed about 50,000 years ago and at that point homo sapiens took over the world because there were other species of humans like neanderthals etc but homo sapiens really took over the world about 50,000 years ago when our brain suddenly went through a huge, huge change. And some of that comes from our, um, what, from the climate change. And well, I, I don't know why you, you say, okay, I was, I was, I had always thought that this, there was research on this and that this was, validated. So I'm really surprised no. for you to say that it's not. Yeah. Um, I'm not yeah. sure well, why. In all my th- education, I, it's just, it is, it's a theory. It's definitely a theory that's out there. It's the theory of evolution, but it's, it's only a theory. And we have lots of proof against that theory that we couldn't have evolved our brains. I mean, we didn't come from amoebas. Much has evolved. Um, of course, well, much brand, has according, evolved, but according to Medina, fifty thousand years ago, something happened, and our brains made huge, huge, huge differences, and that is when we took over the world. <laughs> yeah, there's. Well, um, I guess everybody has a different well, opinion. There's just no opinion, there's no proof yes. of that, and scientifically, although there are many different opinions out there from Stephen Hawking. I think there's, to, I think there's, there's anthrop- anthropological history of that, though. And they have... Um, I'm really surprised to hear what you're saying because I yeah, was Yeah, even if you take a look at the Grand Memphis. Canyon. Yeah, it's, it's... I mean, we've got about... <clears throat> we've got about 6,000 years of history that we can prove. And um, so... That's where the scientists can't. The meeting of the of the greatest minds can come together. So, um, but but everybody you know comes to know these things at a different point. But there's just no there's no proof of the other, except for the world existing and and amoebas and and that kind of thing existing, but not man. Only about six thousand years for man um, since God God created man, and then that's what's what's actually been proven through history. I think he's comparing the lizard brain to the autonomic body system, which is what regulates your heartbeat, your breathing, and that. Yes, and I agree. Yes, I'm agreeing with you. I think that's where it comes from, too. And I haven't read the book, because, so I, because, I'm because not we have, coming from an educated standpoint on the book. According to Medina, there are three brains, 
and one is your base brain, your lizard brain that keeps you, that does all your automatic stuff. And then there is another brain, and then there is, the, which, which he, he, he calls a brain that's like a cat. And then on top of that is the cortex. And it's the cortex, that top layer, that makes man or humans who they are because it mm-hmm. allows for the cognitive processing. So, mm-hmm. and again, he also said we took over Earth by adapting to change itself. So, and, and we did. And, and what is and, the name of the book again? It's called Brain Rules, and it's by John Medina. Okay. All right. All right. And if you, you and if you go to if you go online, there is. Hold on. Where did I? I just I read it to you guys at the beginning. One sec. Oh, uh, there's a there's a small short video, or a 45 minute video introducing the book at www.brainrules.net forward slash DVD, and okay. you get to see. All right. So he is Thank he you. is a molecular he's a he's a biologist he is a mm-hmm. hold on he is an affiliate professor of bioengineering at the University of Washington and he's a developmental molecular biologist biologist and research research consultant mm-hmm. so okay. I find that what he says about the brain to be fast fascinating have yeah, a great day everybody thank you <laughs> have a have a great day, everybody. I want to thank Brian for his wonderful work. He, I don't know what we would do without Brian Curry. He makes the call work every day. And I thank you all for coming and listening today. I hope that you got some ideas about how your children and how you learn and how you process, which is what it's all about. And be well with your eating and your sleeping and your drinking. And if you, oh, we're already late, but if you need want to go to um, Facebook Live, there is a training session on how to become a better new skin business person. So have a great day, everybody. Tomorrow it is CJ, and uh, Thursday is, I believe, Susan, and Friday we get another meditation with Victoria, which I love. So I will be enjoying each day this week. Have a great week or have a great day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.